Christia Freeland took the stand at the Emergencies Act hearings Thursday, and it was disclosed that at least one bank executive tried to caution Freeland against using the country's banking system as, quote, a political weapon. Also, Freeland described Freedom Convoy protesters as people who were trying to change policy at gunpoint, and that she refused to negotiate with people who hold democracy, quote, hostage. Conservatives push back against the Trudeau government's attempt to ban hundreds more new models of rifles and shotguns through a last-minute amendment to Bill C-21. A controversial motion at the Ottawa School Board by mask-obsessed trustee Dr. Nellie Kaplan-Murth, which would have reimposed a mask mandate on all students and staff, failed on Thursday evening. Hello Canada, it's Friday, November 25th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Rachel Emanuel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. On day 30 of the Emergencies Act hearings, the second last day of hearings, disclosed documents revealed that at least one bank executive tried to caution Deputy Prime Minister Christy Freeland against using the country's banking system as a, quote, political weapon. In a redacted readout of conversations that Freeland had with bank CEOs on February 13th, one banker cautioned the government about their attempts to use the banks for what could be seen as political ends. That banker then went on to point out to Freeland that the government needs to start talking about post-pandemic economics, and that even though nearly 90% of the population was vaccinated, Canada still had the toughest restrictions in the OECD. He also told Freeland that the government needs to show a plan for how to remove restrictions. Meanwhile, during her testimony, Freeland described the Freedom Convoy protesters as people who were trying to change policy at gunpoint. She described them as holding democracy hostage. Here's what that sounded like. Okay, um, the last thing I want to take you to before we put this document down is that just last little paragraph there that just came up on the screen. You say, I am very resolute in ending this occupation of our democracy, but I will never support negotiating with those who held our democracy hostage. No good thing comes of that. Can you explain that comment? You will never, never uh, sanction or never support negotiating with those who hold our democracy hostage. Um. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, I, I don't think it's healthy for a democracy, for any democracy, um, for uh, policy to be made, you know, at uh, gunpoint, if you will. Um, and that really um, also devalues the views and the contributions of all Canadians who express their political views and their political preferences in different ways, for example, by voting. Um, so, yeah. Were you referring there to, to the vaccine mandates, to public health measures, or more generally? Yeah, I think I, I think, I mean, again, I don't have a sort of photographic or a video memory of exactly um, how that conversation evolved. Um, and in fact, I didn't remember saying this until I read it again, but I'm sure that's a faithful account. Having read the note, having read this note, what I think I was referring to is a comment made earlier in the conversation suggesting that the solution to this was a change in policy on vaccines. That's what I think I was responding to. Okay. 
Rachel, one of the most controversial aspects of what the government did with the Emergencies Act was, of course, using that ability to freeze bank accounts of people. And we heard afterwards that this was concerning to people in the financial community. It's interesting to see, though, that their critiques from at least one major bank executive were quite strong to Freeland before she did it. And yet they still went ahead and did it. What does that tell us? I mean, I think it's just another example of this Trudeau government not really actually interested in what other people have to say and what some of the criticisms of their policies might be. They're just going to plow ahead with what they think is best anyways. And that also relates to Christy Freeland basically saying why she refused to negotiate with them, holding democracy hostage, that they're trying to change policy at gunpoint, even though that's not entirely accurate. Of course, it was the government that decided we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to negotiate. And we're going to basically send in, well, the troops at one point they were hinting, those documents that we've seen them joking or whatever they are doing about bringing in tanks. So it, it really does show this, it's our way or the highway attitude. Yeah, and I think Freeland's testimony yesterday was sort of littered with hyperbole. I mean, she had the example of gunpoint. There was no gunpoint being used in this situation. The only violence that we saw during the Freedom Convoy was when police actually pushed protesters off of Parliament Hill. And then she also said she wanted to avoid blood on the face of a child. Again, total hyperbole. None of this stuff actually happened during the convoy. It just seemed really excessive on her part. And again, they're just trying to justify their invocation of the Emergencies Act while they never agreed to meet with protesters when they were in Ottawa. Rachel, the last couple of days have been, while well, Justin Trudeau on the final day, of course, Christy Freeland on the second last day, those have garnered a lot of headlines across the country. But in past weeks, we have had senior law enforcement officials, various public servants almost go contrary to the liberal government narrative. No, we couldn't really find justification for actually bringing in the act was the thrust of what was said many times over. What do you think is going to be the narrative that that sort of seeps down to the general public when this is all done? I've thought about that a lot, and I'm not sure how much the Public Order Emergency Commission is actually going to make a difference, and I don't know how much the findings that will actually make a difference. There's a lot of Canadians that have a ton of distrust in their government right now, and I think that no matter what the findings are, they're going to continue to feel that mistrust, and if the findings go in Justin Trudeau's way, there's going to be a lot of people who think that the proceedings weren't fair. So I think at this point, people are kind of digging their heels in, and they're picking and choosing which evidence they're hearing, and they're running with that. Conservative politicians across the country are pushing back after the Liberals moved to ban hundreds more new models of rifles and shotguns through a last-minute amendment to Bill C-21 earlier this week. Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro said the last-minute amendment targets more than 2 million licensed Canadian firearm owners, including hunters, farmers, and target shooters who collectively own hundreds of thousands of firearms. In a statement, Shandro said, quote, The federal government is clearly seeking to ban legal firearm ownership altogether. In the coming weeks, Alberta will explore all available options to take action. Then on Thursday, the House of Commons Public Safety Committee met to continue its clause-by-clause -clause consideration of Bill C-21, in which members spent nearly the entire two-and-a-half-hour hearing debating the Liberal Amendment. Conservative MPs say the government is crossing a, quote, red line with its last-minute amendment. Here's what Conservative MP Dane Lloyd said during the committee. Many of the firearms that the government's listed in G46, like a Benelli, M3 shotgun, um, it wouldn't be used by, by people who are committing crimes on our streets. And so for the government to, to list that is a, is a clear violation of our social contract. And why 
they are doing that is because they have recognized that this is a divisive political issue that they can use to divide Canadians between rural Canadians and urban Canadians, between Canadians who own firearms and Canadians who uh, don't know much about firearms, don't own firearms, and are afraid of firearms. They've recognized this as a way to divide Canadians for their own political success, and I think that's wrong because we are eroding something that is very fundamental about our country. Something that is very fundamental to our identity as Canadians is that we have this social contract where firearms owners do not have explicit rights written into the constitution of this country, but that this country respects the rights of law-abiding firearms owners who follow the law, who go through the process, who get vetted by the Canadian Firearms Program, by the RCMP, who can have their guns taken at any time. Rachel, do we have any indication why this amendment needed to be so last minute? We don't have any indication. It was actually really interesting during the committee hearing yesterday. One of the Conservative MPs sitting on the committee, Glenn Motts, repeatedly asked the government and the department witnesses that were there, when did you first start considering this amendment? Did you start considering it when the legislation was being drafted? And the government, of course, wouldn't answer, citing solicitor-client privilege. So I think that's a big question to be asking right now. At what point did the government start considering this amendment? Was it purposeful that they snuck it in at the last minute? Rachel, am I right in thinking that we are just getting firearms legislation that restricts the firearm rights of law-abiding uh, gun owners every quarter now, every two months? I don't know. It seems like we just get more and more announcements about all of this, and they do seem to be tightening the screws on the issue. That's absolutely the case. And I think you know, law-abiding gun owners are feeling extremely frustrated because they take one hit and then there's another one right after that. And there's almost no breathing room in between. And you know, Dane Lloyd made a really good point there about this sort of social contract that law-abiding gun owners in Canada have always agreed to government regulations, unlike in the states where you know they push back against them quite a bit more. They do have a second amendment. We don't have that here in Canada. So people, you know, they're willing to go along with these regulations, but they never have had to fear that the government will actually take their guns away when they're being used for things like hunting and sport shooting. So I think we're going to see a lot of pushback from the Conservatives on this. I expect they might even try to filibuster this committee to delay this amendment for as long as possible. The Liberals were originally on the right side of this issue, at least in the minds of public opinion when it comes to swing ridings, downtown voters, people who said, oh, the only real problem is the illegal firearms coming across the border, gangs don't follow these rules, of course, leave law-abiding gun owners alone. That was seen as something of, I don't know, a conservative talking point, but I think that has now trickled down such that that's just common sense. I think average urbanites who have never touched a firearm, practically never seen one, they now also acknowledge that, look, the real problem is, of course, guns already illegally coming across the border. I wonder, Rachel, whether this is actually going to be working for the Liberal government moving forward. Well, I can tell you that we've heard from many of the police experts at the committee that they've said this legislation does not target illegal gun owners smuggling guns across the border. It targets law-abiding gun owners like hunters and sport shooters. So that's been one of the main criticisms of this legislation, and certainly the Conservatives have been pointing that out as well. Parents and students in Ottawa can breathe a sigh of relief after an attempt to reimpose a mask mandate in schools by Ottawa family doctor and newly elected trustee Nellie Kaplan-Murth has failed. After a disastrous meeting on Tuesday, which turned into a yelling match, the Ottawa Carleton District School Board met on Thursday evening in private, the public was not allowed to attend, to vote on the controversial motion. Now, after numerous amendments on exemptions, the motion eventually failed to garner enough support to pass and resulted in a 6-6 tie, which constituted a failure and it did not proceed. 
Now, the news comes as a number of concerned Ottawa parents and students reached out to True North to speak out against the mandatory masks and even said that they would not comply with the mandate if it was passed. Rachel, this is really interesting to see that there was a school board even going down this route in the first place when I think a lot of people in cities and districts all across Canada and definitely the United States would find it kind of unbelievable that this was even being discussed in the first place in November 2022. Seems like people are, for the most part, ready to put this behind us. You know, here in Alberta, we're definitely not talking about reimposing mask mandates. The Edmonton school board did consider it or they were sort of asking for guidance on that from the province. But the province has been very clear that that's not the direction they're going to be moving in. And they've even put forward regulations to ban mask mandates at schools. So I think it's time for the school boards to put these away. You know, Ottawa is a very liberal city. And the fact that even they are not moving forward with this should be an indication that there's not a large appetite for it. Lots of interesting information came out in these hearings. One was that only about 10% of students and staff were voluntarily wearing masks anyway. So if a mask mandate had been introduced... You're talking about forcing the other 90% of people to do something that they've already indicated they're not interested in doing. I mean, that would have been really something to try and enforce the mandate. I think that's the same situation elsewhere. When I was at the airport this weekend, it was about 10% of people that were wearing masks and the rest of the people chose not to. So certainly there is no appetite for this mask mandate and we shouldn't be considering it any further. You know, we have a lot of problems post COVID-19. Let's focus on those problems. Let's get kids back on track with their studies and, you know, focus on some of the economic recovery at this point. That's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.